0: This is the Hot Stove Report. Going, going, goodbye, baseball. On 710 ESPN Seattle, 710Sports.com and the 710 Seattle app. Swagging a fly ball down the right field line at Channel. A long run for White going out. Foul ground. Reaches out, slides, and he makes the catch. Holy smokes, what a catch by Evan White. And welcome back to the second hour of Hot Stove 2021. Rick Riz along with Gary Hill. And this reminder right now, subscribe to the Mariners YouTube channel for unique content, highlights, live streams, and more. It's the best way to get your daily dose of Mariners baseball. Whether it's a game day or not, visit youtube.com slash Mariners to join the fun. Let's have some more fun because here, Gary, in the second hour of uh, Hot Stove, we have a chance to talk with a very talented young man. In his first year in the big leagues last year, his rookie Rookie season, he wins a Gold Glove at first base. One of the few players in Major League Baseball history to win a Gold Glove their rookie season. It's talking about young first baseman Evan White. Happy New Year, kid! Uh, where are you? And are you enjoying the weather down there in Arizona?
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Happy New Year to uh, to you guys as well. I appreciate you having me on. And yeah, the, uh, the Arizona weather in the off seasons it's definitely a little better than Ohio. So we've been able to uh, <laughs> enjoy it a little
0: bit for sure. Well, Evan, a heck of a year for you last year, winning that gold glove, along with your teammate uh, J.P. Crawford over there at shortstop. When you heard your name announced, uh, I believe it was Cal Ripken Jr., right?
1: It was funny because I actually, I think on the East Coast, I'm not sure if it was just our our service that we had here or what, but I think we were a little delayed. So I, I found out by Justin Dunn, give me a FaceTime. So I didn't actually. I don't even know who said my name. I, I didn't get to see it because I was answering the call. I thought I had another minute or two. So <laughs> um, found out that way, which is which is pretty funny and still pretty special. Obviously, being uh, you know one of my best friends. So uh, definitely a, a really cool moment for me and my family.
2: You know, when I think about uh, winning a Gold Glove, you know, I think about the World Series trophy. Is you know probably the most recognizable trophy in baseball. I think a Gold Glove is probably the second most recognize I mean it's a big gold glove you know exactly <laughs> what it is so what have you done with the gold glove where is it right now
1: well, I've actually I haven't received it yet oh, okay. um, so I think uh, I was told you know hopefully get to receive it during the season and get get presented to me then and uh, hopefully with you know with everything going on we're able to do that um, but uh, my wife and I actually just got a place up in Seattle as well so I think we'll we'll keep that up there with me and um, that way we can have a nice little a little housewarming present for us up there so
2: One of the other cool things about winning a gold glove, and I don't know how widely known this is just by the general fans out there, but you're a Rawlings glove guy, right? You use Rawlings? Yes, correct. Okay, so if you put a Rawlings glove on and you you look at your hand, the back of your hand, and you see the red Rawlings patch on the back, well, when you win a gold Mm -hmm. glove, they make the patch gold, which is amazing. I remember a couple of years ago sitting in the dugout and yeah. just kind of staring at Kyle, Kyle Seeger's, Seeger's glove swing, that was yeah. sitting there with the, the gold patch. Have Have you seen what your mitt will look like uh, this coming season? Yeah, I know it's kind of early. We're not quite there yet. But have you seen uh, <laughs> what it's going to look like yet?
1: I, ha- I haven't been able to see what it's going to look like on it yet. I actually uh, I put the order in yesterday. Mm. Um, so I, I went with the same same color scheme as I did last year, except for on um, one of the ones I ordered, I ordered a, an all black one because I think the the gold will pop a little bit with that one. So, nice. I don't know if that'll be the the gamer. I probably be my backup one because I kind of like the the tan I got going now. But uh, it's definitely definitely exciting and a dream come true. And, and like you were saying, you know, growing up looking at guys' gloves and stuff like that and seeing that was uh, you know obviously one of the, the highest honors in baseball. So for that to be um, on the back of my glove is is really
0: special. Perry Hill had to be. So thrilled, Evan, with you winning a Gold Glove, Mariners infield coach. Let's talk about, you know, you coming to the big leagues, your first year in the big leagues last year, and you came as advertised. We heard about your defense. So how did you turn yourself into such a good defensive first baseman? Who was the biggest influence on you defensively?
1: Yeah, um, defense really is just something I've always enjoyed. Uh, I think I've mentioned to you guys before how, you know, I grew up in a baseball family and um, you know, going to the ballpark with my dad, grandparents, you know, mom, everybody, uh, was just something I really enjoyed. And you know, my parents were awesome. If they, you know, if I asked to go out front, and you know, they'd hit tennis balls at me so I can react and you know, throw ground balls and whatnot, and you know, go to the field and take grounders on the field as well. And they're always willing and able um, to help me with that stuff. And it's just something I always enjoyed, and something I've taken pride in. And um, you know, once I got to Kentucky, you know, Rick Eckstein was my my coach my first two years there, and he helped out a lot offensively, but. Uh, defensively just kind of slowing the game down and and, you know helping me get in positions more consistently where I was able to see the ball better and uh, react uh, from a defensive side and that's just something that Bones helped me with and and shortening my arm up as I progressed and uh, so a lot of work to do and uh, you know very thankful for the people that have helped me along the way
2: so you mentioned you just put in your mitt order do you use just a mitt a year do you use multiple mitts a year How, how do you go about it
1: you know, I've so far I've been able to use just one a year, and then I'll have one as my backup. And it's funny about the All Star break halfway through the season; you will start noticing a little bit it's not as hmm. um, fresh and as as uh, tight as it once was. Um, but it's something I, you know, I'm I got to be able to break in the back uh, backup one. I'm um, just fine uh, to, to be confident in case something happens. But unfortunately, I haven't had to, to go to that yet. Um, you know, we'll see with with one sixty two coming up, and obviously I haven't played that
0: many games before, so. Uh,
1: hopefully I can stick with the one and, and keep that in good shape, but uh, we shall see uh, what this year has in store.
0: Visited with Mariners first baseman Evan White, gold glove first baseman Evan White. Evan, you made the jump from aid to the big leagues last year, and that is not easy to do. That's that's tough. What was your biggest takeaway from uh, the 60-game season uh, last year in the big leagues for you?
1: Yeah, I think the the biggest thing, and something I've been talking to Andy McKay about and working with him a lot is the, the mental approach and mental side of the game and how important that is. Mm-hmm. um, you know, because before coming up to the big leagues, I've never really had much lack of confidence and, you know, getting up there and, you know, obviously the guys are, are very consistent And the catchers, They're going to see something and just keep exploiting it until you can prove that you can handle it. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, kind of not preparing as much on the mental side. I didn't, you know, you, you hear mental skills and how important it is, but it's like, how do I, how do I actually do it? And so that's something Andy and I have been working on a lot this off season and you know, something, the biggest part of my game, I'm, I'm really excited to see that you know, take a step in um, the right direction with. And um, I think that was the biggest thing is, is having confidence, trust in yourself because, you know, if you, you sit there and start questioning yourself, uh, now you're going to be late to start. And now it's going to look like you're yanking off everything and swinging too hard. So, which I know, you know, looking back on some stuff I definitely did this year, but it's like mentally I was trying to be, you know, stay easy and stay through the middle of the field. And uh, I had those little subconscious thoughts. It was like, well, what if he throws this? and uh, kind of got in my way, so I mean, yeah, there's some physical stuff that needs to be tweaked up a little bit, but I think the mental side is is uh, the most important thing, and uh, you know, at this this uh, level in the game.
2: What does your offseason look like as you get ready for a full major league season?
1: Yeah, so right now, um, before the new year, we were going in. Um, fortunately, we got you know good group of guys. There's you know only a handful of us here, but position player wise, it's me, JP, and and Sam Haggerty um, down here in Peoria, and uh, you know before. New Year's we're working out four times a week, doing baseball stuff about four times a week and uh, hitting throwing and then we'll start doing ground balls here um actually tomorrow. So I excited to be doing that again and you know, like I said, once once the new year hit, we're going five times a week and stuff and just getting getting ready to go and be as as fresh, as strong, um, as flexible as possible and stuff and I'm just excited to, to get going.
0: Evan, last year we saw so many talented young players get to the big leagues. Uh, yourself at the top of that list. uh, We saw Justice Sheffield uh, and Kyle Lewis, the American League Rookie of the Year out there in center field, Justin Dunn and and many others. And then there's another wave of young players coming and another wave after that. For you, Evan, what's it like to be a part of this Mariners group of talented young players that's going to form the core of a ball club that's going to get us to the playoffs?
1: Yes, it's definitely exciting. Um, Like you said, there's there's guys and guys come and it's, it's exciting to be a part of. And, um, and like you were saying, we, we want to get to the playoffs obviously, but we also, we want to win it. We don't want to just do it, go there and mm-hmm. you know, be satisfied with that. It's, it's kind of having that mentality. And I think a lot of the guys have it. And um, I think it's really special that, you know, guys that, that aren't there yet and um, you have that mentality you know, we don't want to just get there and uh, be content being in the big leagues or be content, make it to the playoffs just, we want to do something special, do something that hasn't been done here before. And um, I think that that definitely rubs off another guy. So, you know, Right now, we let's just just for number sake, like let's say we have 15 guys like that. Now, you know, you're able to kind of rub off on others. Now that number can continue to grow, and you can see that throughout the entire organization. So it's it's pretty cool to be a part of, and um, we're going to work our butts off until we make that a reality.
2: What's the hardest thing about hitting at the major league level?
1: Uh, that's a great question. Um, for me, I think the, the biggest thing, again, was kind of just breaking down the sky reports and realizing guys have so many different pitches mm. and kind of you know getting getting caught in between. Because hitting is hard enough as it is, yeah. you know. Um, but when you start second-guessing yourself and be like, man, this guy's got, <laughs> you know, seems like five, six different pitches. Now you're like, okay, what if he does this? Um, so just... You know everything. The guys are able to throw different pitches, different counts, and, and they trust their stuff, and they're gonna come at you with what they think is gonna, you know, get you out. So there's no count like in the minor leagues where it's you know a three one count, so you're getting a fastball. You know, if a guy's if it's three one, there's a base open, he's gonna throw whatever pitch he thinks he can get you out with. And um, I think that was was one of the biggest uh, adjustments I had to make. And um, you know I'm looking forward to, to being better because of it and and learning from it.
0: Evan, who was uh, the the one veteran on this ball club, or maybe two or three that helped you get through uh, last season, and you were able to do what you did?
1: Yeah, I think Seager and D. They were they were both awesome. Uh, you know, I think Gravy and um, and Marco did a heck of a job from the pitcher side as well. Just you know, just helping those guys, but also just having conversations with us and and getting to know each other. Because I think at the end of the day, it's all about relationships and and trusting guys on and off the field. Um, I think that's that's a huge thing and building those relationships. But um Seager was awesome. Uh, you know, D was awesome. We just had good conversations, be able to build build relationships and, you know, uh, give each other a hard time and just have fun with it. But, you know, also those guys have been there, they've been very successful. So to kinda of hear their stories and, and you know, realize no matter how good you are, you're gonna go through struggles. Sure. Um so to kinda of, kinda of understand that and um and everything was I think big and uh, you know, those guys were great and, and very thankful to have them.
0: Evan, it was fun watching you play last year, your first year in the big leagues, and winning a gold glove, and I can't wait to see what you're going to do here in, in 2021, along with so many young players in this organization right now. Evan, thanks a lot for being our guest. Coming up next, we're going to visit with your infield coach, Perry Hill, who had a big influence oh. on you. Evan, enjoy the rest of your offseason and know you're working hard. Can't wait to see it spring training, buddy.
1: Thank you, guys. Appreciate you for having me, and uh, you know, look forward to seeing you guys soon. Awesome.
0: Mariners Gold Glove first baseman Evan White. Hot Stove 2021 continues. Coming up next, we're going to visit with Mariners infield coach Perry Hill, the proud pauper of a couple of Gold Glove winners this year. We'll be back with Perry right after this timeout. All things Mariners, all off season. The Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Here's the pitch, swinging a shot, diving stop to his right at short. J.P. Crawford on a hop to first, taken by White. What a play by J.P. Crawford, robbing George Springer of a hit. Well, Hot Stove 2021 continues. Rick Riz along with Gary Hill. We just visited with Mariners Gold Glove first baseman Evan White, and now we have a chance to visit with uh, Mariners infield coach Perry Hill, who had to be a proud papa last year, as I talked about, when we said goodbye to Evan just a little while ago because not one but Two Mariner players won gold gloves last year, Evan White at first base in his rookie season, and also shortstop J.P. Crawford. Perry Hill, thanks for joining us here on Hot Stove uh, early, early in the uh, campaign. Uh, what did it feel like for you as the infield coach to have not one but two of your players win a gold glove last year?
3: Well, first of all, thanks for having me, Rick, Gary. I appreciate it and the time. Um well, you know, as an organization, we're very proud. You know, they give four gold gloves on the infield, and we got half of them. And, uh, you know, just let me say this, Rick, real real quick. It's it's an organizational award. You know, I have the title of infield coach, but, you know, uh, Jerry got them here. Scott puts them in a position to succeed in playing time. Scott Hunter scouted them. Jesse Smith in the analytics department, along with Manny Atkinson, puts them in the right spots to make plays. Uh, Cliff and Derek uh keep them strong and fit. Kyle and the training staff keep them healthy so they can get on the field. Brian Stiles, Pete, and and Billy in the clubhouse keep them comfortable and get the things they need. So there's a lot of uh, fingerprints on these gold gloves. Those two guys get the hardware, and rightly so, but there's a lot of fingerprints on these awards.
2: You mentioned Jesse and the analytics, and I'm curious. You've been doing this for a long time at a high level, so successful, so many gold glovers along the way, but how have you used – In this age of information, how have you used the new information to help what you do?
3: There's no doubt before I came here, I was a dinosaur, and I had a fixed mindset. And since the time I've arrived in Seattle, uh, I've got a growth mindset. I'm open to a lot of new ideas. And Jesse has been a huge help to me um, in evaluating players and what they can do, what they can't do, how they rank among others at their position around the league. Um, I used him a lot in my evaluations of our of our players I used him and his, his mind and his numbers and all of his staff and of course they put together a really good positioning program for uh, for us and Manny uh, does that as, as the game unfolds in the course of the game so I, I, to me it's 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 really opened up my eyes I I really wasn't one of those guys before I got here but I'm one of those guys now
0: and Perry, watching you every day at spring training, it's good old fashioned hard work too. I mean, before these guys get on the field, field one down there in Peoria, you got them taking a baseball thrown against a brick wall and working on their footwork, and uh, even before they step uh, stepped their feet uh, on that on that field one to get ready for uh, you know a practice session, hard work. Well, there's
3: there's oh there, well there's there's nothing there's nothing that beats a, a brick wall and a, and a baseball. You can really <laughs> get better and. My philosophy on that, Rick, is I like to to iron out any tweaks or something we need to correct before we get on the field because when we get on the field, usually in spring training, everything's time-related, and I only have like a 20-minute or 25-minute slot for infield work, ground balls, and I don't want to have to stop a drill and correct somebody and use up my time. So we get on the wall early in the day, you know, starting about 7.30, and throw the ball up against the wall, and we work on our things and iron out all the tweaks that we need to iron out. So once we get on the field, we don't waste any time.
2: Two gold glovers on the Mariners' infield this year. You're no stranger to coaching gold glovers. There's been a number of them, especially with the Marlins. Luis Castile won three gold gloves with the Marlins. Did he give you one of the gold gloves? He did. He did he gave me one, Michael Lowell gave me his, um
3: uh, yeah, uh after the uh he won three in a row, with louis two thousand three, four, and five, and uh he gave me the first one he won, two thousand three, and Michael Lowell won one in two thousand five, and he gave me his, so it's very humbling experience um you know the thing about it is I didn't feel one baller make one throw, but, uh <laughs> they were gracious enough to. To uh, to pass along the award, it really it was really special.
0: But as a coach, I watch you inside that dugout. You're you're making those throws and making those plays, buddy. You, you're you're making those plays. You're an old shortstop, you know yourself. But uh, and you're also very well. Humble. You
3: know, it, it, there's a, there's no secret if you know me. I uh, kind of wear my emotions on my sleeve, and I'm not the quietest guy in the world, am I, Rick?
0: No, no. I, I love watching you work, and I love your passion for the game and helping out these kids, and they're so lucky to have you and this entire coaching staff working with these young players because, uh, you know, they are really going to take off again uh, this year. Dylan Moore at second base. He played all over the place, uh, Perry, in 2019 and, and again last year. Looks like he may find himself a home at second base. Where do you start with Dylan Moore? Well,
3: uh, you know, I... My job is whoever Gary and Scott decide who's going to play where, it's my job after that to get them prepared to play to the best of their abilities. And if, uh, if Dylan Moore is going to be at second base, you know, he's going to be, uh, he's, a, he's an athlete. He can play all over the field as we all know. But, you know, there's a lot of things that we really want to have to work on and stress If you think about it, uh, Rick and Gary, he's a natural shortstop. Mm -hmm. That's his uh, natural position. And you got to look at that that side of the field. Every play you make is in front of you. Everything. The double play feeds, throwing the first, a slow roller, turning the double play, everything is in front of you. But when you switch over to the other side of the diamond on second base, half of what you do is away from where you want to go. Like the second baseman turning the double play, he's got to run away from first base to get set up before he throws back. Uh, ground ball to his left, he's got to catch it, turn around and throw it to second, you know, for the start of the double play. So a lot of the things that they do that happens on the second base side is really different to a natural born shortstop. So, uh, you know, we got we got a little work to do, but he's such a tremendous athlete. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure there won't be any problems whatsoever.
2: We were just talking to Jerry, and along those lines, he was talking about you specifically working with Ty France, who it sounds like we'll see a little at third, a little at second, you know, some DH along the ways. Uh, When you go about working with a player, really for the first time, this will be the first time you've had a chance to work with them, where do you start? Where does it all begin? Well, I I just kind of watch
3: them for, you know, five or six days and and see what they do and if if there's any way that I can help them or or tweak them. but you know, so the first you know three or four days uh, of camp, you know, I'll just kind of be uh, all eyes and seeing what I see. But I've talked to Ty extensively throughout the winter, and uh, and we've uh, we're basically on the same page, and and he knows he's got some things with this with his footwork that he needs to straighten out. So I don't think that I'll have to watch as long as I usually would because he's all in. The, he knows he needs to do some things with his feet. So uh, you know, I'll take a couple of days worth of looks, and then I think we'll, we'll go to work from there. And he's another guy too, uh, Rick and Gary. That you know, he's been a third baseman actually all his life. So once again, everything is in front of him. And so when he when he the days he does play second base, we got to get him used to going away from his target a lot. As I mentioned with uh, Dylan Moore.
0: Terry, I've asked many, many players, you know, what players help you, you know, get better? What players do you watch to help get better? As, as You've you're been so successful as a coach. What coaches have helped you become a better coach?
3: Oh, wow. Uh, Manny Acta for one, Scott Service for another, uh, Buddy Bell, and Toby Hara. Those are the nice guys that, right uh, uh, that, I've, that I've looked up to. You know, Buddy uh, helped me early in my career. Uh, very instrumental in in getting my name in the forefront. Toby Hare gave me my first big league job uh, because he believed in me. Uh, I knew Manny. I've known Manny for years. Uh, when I left the, the Expos to go to the Marlins, Manny took my spot in, in Montreal. And so we've had a connection ever since. And, and I've learned so much from Manny. Uh, there's no secret. Fellas, that I'm one-dimensional, don't ask me about base running or hitting, or I'll really mess you up. But I've learned so much from, from, from Scott and Mandy about the total game. And I think I'm a better coach and a better baseball person because I've been around them every day the last couple of years.
2: So this may be an impossible question, but you're a defensive guru. I mean, you've, you've coached Gold Glovers. You, you've coached an all-star team. You've won a World Series. Who is the greatest infield defender you have seen in your career? Oh, mercy. You're going to do this to me? (laughs) I told you it would be an impossible question.
3: (laughs) Oh, geez. Uh, Well, growing up, it was Brooks Robinson and Mark Belanger. Mm, Yeah. uh, That I've I've seen on the field. Uh, Probably Omar Vizquel was one. Uh, Let me see here. Roberto Alomar was another one. Mm. You know, Evan White's going to be on this list at some point in time. Uh, I can't really name him. He only played one year. I had a first baseman in uh, Miami that was very athletic, Derek Lee. He was really, really mm-hmm. good. He saved a World Series game for us uh, with his defense. Travis Fryman comes to mind. Kyle Seeger comes to mind. J.P. Crawford's going to be on that list very shortly. So uh, there's been a lot of them. I really can't narrow it down to, uh, down to one.
0: Perry, when you get your hands on on a young player, and obviously he's got talent, otherwise he wouldn't be in a big league camp at spring training or on a major league roster, what is it inside that uh, a young player has to take to the next level to be a good defensive player? Everybody wants to hit the ball and hit the ball out of the ballpark and, and strike everybody out and throw 100 miles an hour. But what is it about the defensive side of the game that a player needs to have inside him to be better?
3: First of all, to be a good offensive player, you remember you're going to be unsuccessful seven out of ten times. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, you know, things just don't go your way. But on the defensive side, you can make a difference in the game, just like on the defensive side and the base running side. You know, you you may not get a hit or drive in a key run or something, but you can go out in the field and make a play to save a run, which I call a defensive RBI. You saved a run from scoring, so that's just like knocking one in, in my opinion. So I think the player has to have a drive to be able to want the ball hit to him every single time because he knows that the team will be successful because he'll catch the ball and throw it straight and we'll convert it to an out. I think the guys that want the ball hit to them all the time is 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 a, a best trade an infielder can have. And because what they also have to realize is just what I mentioned earlier, they're not going to get ahead every time up. They're not going to drive every run in from third. Mm-hmm. But they can certainly go out in the field and prevent runs.
0: Because, you know, with Mariners infield coach Perry that has done a great job with this organization, especially these young players. The game has really changed. The look of the game has changed defensively because of defensive shifts, uh, Perry. The third baseman is now playing shortstop. Uh, the second baseman is now out there in shallow right field, feeling ground balls off the grass. Uh, the shortstop uh, is on the other side of the bag at second base. How do you go about working with these guys defensively now with so many defensive shifts? And how has that uh, maybe changed the way that uh, you teach, uh, you know, fielding a ground ball and throwing it from different positions?
3: It's a good question, right? Very good question. And, and that is mixed in our ground ball routine that we do every day. Not only do we take the regular ground balls and throw to first and turn the regular double plays, but we feel ground balls and turn double plays out of the shift too, almost every single day. Mm-hmm. And it's a point that I talked about earlier: is that when we're in a shift, uh, the second baseman has a longer throw than he normally would. Mm-hmm. The shortstop is now on the other side of the base. Now he has to go away from first base to turn a double play, so there's work to be done there. The third baseman usually has longer throws to first and a longer throw for a double play. He's got to learn when to toss the ball how to throw the ball uphill on a double play uh so there's a lot of things that, that have to be worked on uh, when you're in the shift it's just not like throw people over there and play the game there's a lot of work that goes uh into perfecting all this before the game starts
0: perry you've done a fantastic job with this ball club and these young players and the veteran guys as well like we can't wait to see you at spring training here in 2021 we want to Thank you for being a guest here on our first edition of Hot Stove 2021, and uh, Happy New Year, buddy. Thank you for being our guest tonight.
3: My pleasure, Rick and Gary. Thank you. Happy New Year. Hope to see everybody out this year. I hope we have fans.
0: Can't wait. Perry Hill, Mariners infield coach. And uh, coming up next, we're going to visit with a guy that's covered baseball for many, many years. He's calling it quits after covering the Mariners and Major League Baseball. Greg Johns from MajorLeagueBaseball.com. We'll be back with Greg as Hot Stove continues after these messages. Back to more of the Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. And welcome back to Hot Stove 2021. Uh, we've got a very special guest, Gary, here uh, coming up here in the next uh, few minutes. Uh, he has covered baseball for many, many years, most recently for MajorLeagueBaseball.com. He worked so hard at his craft, and now he's called it quits after all these years covering the Mariners and Major League Baseball. Greg Johns is our guest. Greg, how you doing, buddy?
4: I I am good, uh, Rick. I'm not working, so you know what could be better.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, happy New Year! And after all these years of going out to a ballpark and staying late in the press box and knocking out story after story after story and and the millions and millions of interviews and phone calls. Uh, how did you know that this was the right time to say thank you very much? And uh, I'll leave it for somebody else to do.
4: Well, there comes a point in life, uh, Rick, and you obviously haven't hit it yet. Uh, I'm getting where there. You just go. <laughs> you start thinking. You start thinking. Where's the end line? How long do I want to do this? And uh, I-, I was in sports writer for 41 years, yeah. and uh, I got to tell you, it was a good. It was a great run. Uh, that was, couldn't have imagined a better career. I remember when I started out. I, I just wanted to have something that was, I wanted to do a job that I enjoyed and and was fun and was involved with something that interested me. And, and I liked to write and I like sports. And uh, so I guess I made the right choice. I was writing about sports for 41 years. And uh, and as we got uh, got down to this point, and uh, I, I thought this is a good time. Uh, this is a, a weird last year, but. Uh, the, the, the COVID thing and, and the uh, lack of clubhouse access and it was just kind of a weird time uh i, I just uh, time was right I, I got grandkids now i got i got people in, in life that i want to live and, and still some tread on the tires so uh so here i am I'm, I, I took the exit and uh and see where we go from here
2: this is got to be an impossible question but You've seen so much and been a part of uh, so many great stories along the way. But what are the story or two that really stick out, uh, kind of the amazing moments that you got to witness?
4: Uh, uh, on, the, on the field, I always flash back uh, to, uh, <laughs> to 2001 right after, right after 9-11 and, and when Mary's mirrors clenched and were, we're carrying the, the flag around the infield. I, I can't imagine a, a more emotional moment that that i can recall just being in the stadium those days and, and uh, i was in new york uh, that year uh, you know right after 9 11 when the, when the mayors played the yankees in that series such an emotional time and, and that was you know on the field those were the those are the great games but you know off the field i got to tell you that the thing that i think i'll always treasure uh in my career was the opportunity to, to, to be in ken griffey jr's house when he got the call from cooperstown and uh, it, was, it was me and one other writer that were there with Kenny in his house. And frankly, just going to Ken Griffey Jr.'s house was probably a thrill of a lifetime. But yeah. but to be there when when Cooperstown called and, and to be there and and uh, and share that, and then sat at his kitchen table, it's, uh, it's, it's living it's kind of dining room table, and, and wrote the story after after he got the call. And, and uh, what a thrill that was to just kind of be there and be a part of that.
0: Greg, this kind of parallels the, the same idea because you've been a, such a part of uh, Mariners baseball for many years and the game itself. And again, another tough question. What was your most memorable interview?
4: Uh, you guys ask tough questions. I'm, I'm supposed to be retired. <laughs> I have to think <laughs> retired. <been> so <laughs> the most memorable person that I ever met was Muhammad Ali. Uh, wow. and, and the chance to, to meet him, shake his hand and, and uh, uh, you know, I look back on that, uh, that was a pretty amazing moment. Um, you know, when you're growing up, you just don't imagine yourself in those kinds of situations. Um, the, the chance to talk to, you know, the, the pro athletes is, is great, but uh, I always back to the, the, one of the favorite stories I ever did is back when I was at Seattle P.I. uh favorite because it's meant so much to me over the years, but uh, it, was, it was a chance when uh, when, uh, when Jake Locker was uh, a freshman in college and, and he had a Make-A-Wish kid from Bellingham that was uh, – had a had a a, a brain tumor and he a six year old kid and his goal was to meet Jake Locker and we were going and doing that and hanging out with Jake and had, had Kyle uh, young Kyle and spent the day with them and, and it turned into such a more than just a, a day because it was, Jake Locker played his first game and, and uh, after I wrote that story uh, he looked up to Kyle in the stands after he scored his first touchdown and wow. pointed to him you know those kind of moments you know, and and I kept track of, of Jake and and Kyle and his family for. After that, I and mean, young Kyle ended up passing away uh, two years later. But I got a, a note from his mom just the other day after I after I retired, and, and uh, you know brought back those memories. I and mean, it's kind of those people you know you can't you can't imagine uh, you know, touching people's lives, but but the fact that she kept that in her heart and got a hold of me all these years later, you know, it just means the world to me. But you know those those are the kind of things that I treasure. You know, I mean, I've had an incredible fortune being in in locker rooms and clubhouses and, and talking to pro athletes and, and college kids and everything else. And, uh, you know, really, the, the people behind all those stories is, is really, you know, I, I maybe mean, it sounds corny, but that, that's what I remember are the, the, the people.
2: So speaking of being in the clubhouse, and this is a story I've heard you tell, and it is so funny. Uh, you got to tell the Miguel Olivo. <laughs> uh, <Yes>. towel, <laughs> defense and towel story. <laughs> it it's Shannon
4: Dreyer's favorite story. It's, it's the good. best. It's so That's why. I'm walking to. We're in the clubhouse. It was in Oakland, and uh, Miguel Olivo was the catcher at the time. I'm talking with Miguel, and I don't even remember how this happened. But the next thing I know, he's he's telling me how you can defend yourself with a towel. You can practice self-defense with a towel. I'm like, whatever. Okay. <laughs> and next thing I know, he's got the towel wrapped around my neck. And, and applying a chokehold with this towel, and I'm, like, I, I'm, I, I'm facing him. And I got to tell you, I mean, I'm an average size dude, and a big nuts. spawn. And, and I, I'm looking at McGill. This guy's like a brick house, and I, yeah. you know, I can't get this guy off me. I, I could hit him as hard as I could. And he's not even going to feel it. And, uh, and I finally convinced him that McGill, I don't,
3: I, I understand. I, I, you can defend yourself with a towel. But I don't I need to know what <laughs> I get it.
4: I, I can't. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> he wow. relented i walked away still breathing but uh yes yeah, the kind of funny things and relationships you have with guys and uh, he was a character i was enjoying miguel
0: oh my goodness uh l- let's go back uh, a bunch of semesters uh visiting with greg johns who covered baseball for many years i wanted to be in the next louis apparee show and that didn't work out i found out that in in college but I- i'm living my dream you lived your dream gary's living his dream How did it all start for you to get into this wonderful business of uh, covering baseball through print?
4: Well, I uh, grew up in Bothell. Uh, I went to Bothell High School, and and, uh, it was pretty clear about the time I was a senior in high school that that, that the athletic career wasn't going to go too far. (laughs) Like I said, I I do like to – I I did love sports, and I did love to write, and uh, it was a pretty easy combination. Senior in high school, I remember I had a project – uh, some teacher said, I can't remember what the project was, but the, the end result was that I went and talked to George Myers, who was the uh, sports editor at Columbus at the time of the Seattle Times. I went down and sat with him as just a high school kid and uh, and picked his brain. So I guess at that point, I was kind of already deciding that's where I wanted to head. So I went to college over at Washington State and, and got into journalism and journalism. Just landed newspaper jobs from there and, and kind of worked my up-covering high school stuff when I got out and and uh, got a job with the, uh, the old Bellevue Journal-American covering the Seahawks in 1987. Went back into Chuck Knox, Steve Largent days. Yeah. That was my first first pro beat. I covered the Seahawks for quite a while for them and became a sports columnist and, and worked at uh, different papers. worked at Seattle P.I. When, back when they folded and was fortunate enough that uh, the, the MLB... Dot-com job opened up shortly after that, and uh, and I replaced Jim Street. had been doing that job, and and uh, got on that for the last decade. So it uh, just kind of – jobs just kept coming. I, I think I closed down three newspapers that are no longer existing. But, <laughs> but, but ML, MLB is still in business. I haven't – never put MLB out of business, so I think they're okay.
2: Okay, so I have uh, several lightning-round questions. Are you ready? This, these are interesting, and I think <laughs> really not. good for the listeners as a well-traveled person. So are you ready for this?
4: Yeah. <laughs> probably not. Okay, there we go.
2: Your favorite American League city?
4: My favorite American League stadium is, is Minnesota. I love Target Field. Uh, it's just it's a city, I guess, Boston. I, I always enjoy going to Boston. Yeah. And, of course, Fenway is cool, too. But uh, just, yeah, I'll say Boston, that's a city if you're just talking about a city.
2: Okay. Any favorite ballpark, Minnesota? That's a good one. Oh, yeah, if you're talking
4: American League, you know, yeah. if you're going National League, i got to go different. But uh, Oh, yeah. Tell us, I go with, tell us your
2: favorite ballpark. Go, uh,
4: San Diego, Petco Park in San Diego, I can't, I can't think of a better place to visit. And, uh, yeah. Just, just the, stand on the waterfront down there, and you're walking distance to the park. And, yeah, and anybody, If you just want to go to a city and a ballpark in a nice place, uh, San Diego you can't beat.
2: Your favorite airport, and I, this is a relevant question for a guy who flew as often as you did. Your favorite airport.
4: I don't have one. What? Um, <laughs> you know what? Tampa. Uh, I fell in love with because there's a Marriott inside the airport, uh, and on, on getaway day, I, I would go stay at the Marriott in the airport, and then you could wake up. You know, your your flight out the next morning might be at, at six a.m., and you could you literally get up in your hotel room, or take take the elevator down, walk out on the concourse, and you're at your gate. So uh, that was a fantastic Every airport should have a, a Marriott inside the
2: airport. <laughs> wow. a beautiful That's, great. That's yeah. a good one. Who's the greatest player you've ever covered?
4: The greatest player that Ken Griffey Jr. Mm.
2: How many airline miles do you think you flew during the course <laughs> of your career? <laughs> <laughs> to the moon and back?
4: Uh, I, I don't know, but you know what? Not very many last year. Uh, this last yes. season, my, my, yeah. uh, my mileage. My uh, my uh, Marriott points and my airline miles kind of dried up because we weren't we weren't traveling. So, you know, it's a tough way to go out. My, I didn't I didn't I not that more of my airline miles, but probably too many would be my answer. Um, uh, one thing I, I I will miss traveling in a way, but but uh, I really won't miss the airports and crowded flights and everything else. And uh, and you know what? I haven't flown since last spring training mm. when I came back. Uh, Covid hit and we shut down down in Peoria and I got on a plane came back to Phoenix and it's crazy to think I haven't been back on a plane since so yeah. uh, it's such a such a weird year to have on.
2: Well, Greg, we're gonna miss you. I mean, you're one of the handful of people that we see every single day for like seven months in a row, and uh, we're just gonna miss seeing you in the clubhouse and having you around. And hopefully, from time to time, you'll still check in with us.
4: I would, uh, I would hope so too. Um, I, I'm assuming you know once I get done with this interview, nobody cares what I. But I think anymore, I understand that's part of retirement. So I appreciate you guys checking in with me one last time just to make me feel good. Uh but I, I really will miss, you know, it, it's the people and, and uh and hanging around with you guys. I travel on the road, you get to get to know guys and, and spend time and hanging around. How many hours do you know would we spend in a clubhouse over the course just standing of the time? Around.
0: Exactly, uh, waiting for to talking to one another while we were waiting.
4: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And you know, I've told my wife, I said it's gonna be pretty you're pretty crazy now, you know, watch a ball game, turn off the TV, and, 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 and go to bed now.
0: And, That's and it, exactly. You, you don't have to knock out an article. <laughs> no in deadline. Story. You don't have to get an interview. Well, i tell you what, uh, you did it fantastically for 41 years. What a career, Greg. Uh, I want to thank you personally, as does Gary and everybody up here in the broadcast booth and down in the uh, press row uh, for uh, not only the great writer you've been, but also the outstanding person uh, you have been to me. Uh, it, it's, it's been so much fun standing around talking baseball, talking about life. And you did it well for many, many years, buddy. We're going to miss you. Greg, thank you very much. Enjoy yeah. retirement because you deserve it. Thank you very much. I mean, it's the world to me, so appreciate it, you guys. All right, Greg Johns. From the com, calling it quits after 41 fantastic seasons. Coming up next, we're going to visit with our friend Shannon Dreher. As we wind down our first edition of Hot Stove 2021, we'll be back with Shannon after this. All things Mariners, all off-season. The Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Well, winding down the second hour of our first edition of Hot Stove 2021, Rick Riz, along with Gary Hill and our very special guest, and we work with her every day during the baseball season. She does a tremendous job on the pregame show, the postgame show, everything baseball. Shannon Dreyer joins us. Shannon, how you doing? Happy New Year. And uh, what's, what do you got baking? Because I know you're one heck of a cook. <laughs>
5: Well, for Christmas, I got one of those big marble baking slabs or pastry slabs. So all of a sudden, everything is uh, much better. A lot of breads, some of the sweets, the blondie brownies, of course. And I know, I know that I owe you a chocolate bobcat. So that's on the list as well.
0: Oh, that sounds great, Shannon. Thank you so much. Uh, Besides baking, you know, following the ball club and, getting ready for spring training. Uh, What are your thoughts about, uh, well, let's go back to last year, 2020. What stands out about last year, putting together a baseball season during a pandemic and and accomplishing, I think, quite a bit last year with uh, the young players?
5: Well, I think we know what they did on the field. And uh, I think that the thing that probably gets missed the most is, and this was such a challenge for everybody involved, but uh, I think such a triumph that it was, uh, we were all able to pull it off. Everybody, you know, from baseball to us, a little bit behind the scenes of the broadcast and the challenges that were there. But one of the neatest things was uh, just trying and, and I think succeeding in a lot of ways to get to know this new team. There was so much new on the team and there were the challenges that we couldn't be down in the clubhouse but uh, I think that we saw enough from our perch up in the press box and, and the Zoom calls to, to really kind of get a feel for who this group is and what I walked away from at the end of the season and actually while it was going on was darn I wish we could have spent more time with them in person I can't wait to have that opportunity and, and to get to know them a little bit and in turn bring that to all of the listeners and all of the readers it, it, it's a great group and uh, they were Also generous with the the time that they gave us uh, on the calls and and kind of going more into depth than I think they ever have. I think at times they were bored and they perhaps even missed us a little bit and wanted to talk more. But to me, I I think that that was something that perhaps gets missed and just who these guys are. And it was a group that I just was left with wanting more, not just from what we saw in the field, but from what we saw uh, on the Zooms
2: yeah we talked to Evan White earlier today, and that's it's spot on I mean he's so fun to talk mm-hmm. to uh What else are you thinking as we move through what is still a very unusual off season and still some unanswered questions as we move closer to spring training uh, what kind of when you think about the Mariners this off season what are you most interested in as we move through this off season?
5: Further we got away from the season, I think we all felt very good about what we saw mm-hmm. in, in context of what they were trying to do. And I think there was a big surprise that they accomplished as much as they did in 60 games. And, you know, that was getting guys' experience and learning about them. But as we got further away from that, I think we all kind of realized, yeah, we need to see a little bit more. It was a good sample in some regards, but not enough in others. And, you know, so for me, I, I kind of look at probably, and I, I think this is kind of the direction they're going in. There will be some extra help. We've already seen it with the bullpen, but they need to find out more. And I think that first half of the season is going to be about finding out more, seeing where you're at. And if they see what they want to see and are hoping to see, I think we see a second half of the season that is very different. And that could include moves that are made at the trade deadline. So I I kind of look at going into this season as almost a continuation of last season as far as that development goes. But uh, I think, you know, you've heard from everybody involved. They're very pleased with what they saw It's hard not to be, but I want to see a little bit more, and I want to see a little bit more of the day in and the day out. I think they're on the right track, but I think we need – I think there's still some unanswered questions almost across the board.
0: Well, Shannon, I know 2020 season has been uh, kind of an interesting year for everybody. I know you've been busy making banana bread, and I know you got the ciabatta rolls, you know, know, getting ready to go. (laughs) But I can't wait to see you here in the booth and at the ballpark and down at spring training get our lives back to normal again as soon as possible, and fans in the stands, and uh, get back to baseball. You do an incredible job uh, covering this ball club on a daily basis. We just want to say Happy New Year. Thanks a lot for joining us here in our first edition of Hot Stove 2021.
5: Hey, I think there's no question. We are getting there. You kind of feel I'm getting around the curve right now yeah. in January, so of course you're thinking of baseball, which is the way it should be. Great to talk to you guys.
0: Shannon, thank you so much. Gary, what a show. Great yeah, this job, was fun. Jerry Depoto and We're off Hill, running. Evan White <laughs> and Greg Johns. And uh, cap it off with uh, Shannon Dreyer. A great time talking baseball, and now I'm ready to uh, get down to spring training, hopefully uh, here in the next uh, few weeks or as so. As we watch the rain fall here at <laughs> T-Mobile Park. <laughs> Gary, great show. This is fun. Thanks, Rick. You're welcome. Hot Stove 2021, our first edition. With uh, We started off with uh, Jerry DePoto, as we mentioned, our other special guests as well. Tune in next week for the second edition of Hot Stove 2021 right here on this station. For Gary Hill and all our guests tonight, I'm Rick Rez saying so long, everybody. Thank you for the visit.